I've been thinking about how children sometimes mishear things and um, then repeat them and don't get things quite right. You might remember from your own childhood thinking that something was called something, but actually it was something slightly different. I can remember my um, poor parents on a long car journey um, in the days when you used to play I Spy in the car, and I said, I spy with my little eye, something beginning with J.C., and um, we went for miles and miles until I triumphantly declared that J.C. stood for dual carriageway. Uh, <laughs> not dual carriageway, dual carriageway. My poor parents. Uh, on another occasion, I can remember there was an older lady in my village who used to sometimes take me along to the evening service at church. And um, the most exciting thing was when she'd sit, uh, slip me a little sweet during the sermon. But I can remember very earnestly at the end of one service turning to her and saying, why do they talk about conscious pilot? Was there an unconscious pilot? <laughs> so, um, sometimes we just get things wrong. We pick things up wrong. And actually sometimes our theology we pick up wrong depending on where we get it from. Just um, yesterday I was speaking to someone and I was saying that we were looking at the story of Moses and um, he started telling me, oh yes, well Moses was quite a playboy before he had the encounter with God at the burning bush. Oh yes, I saw that in that Prince of Egypt film. I thought, really? I didn't know that. So I went back to the Bible and of course there's nothing about (laughs) Moses being a playboy, but we can unintentionally pick up things that aren't quite right. And with children it's quite cute and quite sweet. But as we get older in life, if we haven't quite got a true or correct understanding of things, that can make all the difference about whether we sink or swim in difficult situations. So let's have a look at our ongoing story of Moses. And really, things had gone from bad to worse for Moses we, we did find him at the burning bush. Um, he had escaped from Egypt. He was in Midian and God was sending him back, sending him back to tell Pharaoh to let the people go free. And so he goes back and he asks Pharaoh, um, but Pharaoh says, no, who is this Lord you're talking about? No. And um, instead of releasing the people, he makes things a hundred times worse. As we heard in our reading, they were slaves and their work was made even harder and more unbearable. And of course, the people who Moses had led to believe were about to be released were absolutely furious with Moses and Aaron. They'd got their hopes up, but life was actually becoming worse and worse. And so it's unsurprising that in our reading this morning, we find Moses calling out to God saying, why? God, I did what you told me to do and your people are suffering even more now. Why did you send me and things are even worse? It's like Moses having a kind of crisis of faith. He had had some extraordinary experiences with God. Even as a baby, he had been rescued. He had had that extraordinary experience at the burning bush. But when his actions caused even more pain for his people, it really shook his trust in God. And it's no surprise he shouted out, Why? Why? And the people were shouting out, Why? as well. Why should they listen to Moses and Aaron? when actually they made life worse for them. 
they couldn't hear or believe because they were so discouraged and they were being treated so cruelly. I imagine that all of us have had times in our lives when we've wanted to cry out, why? Maybe now you do feel like that. Maybe you know someone close to you who's hopeless and calling out, why? So how does God respond to Moses' question of why? Interestingly, and maybe frustratingly, he doesn't answer the question that Moses is asking. He doesn't answer the why question. He doesn't answer the question that Moses is asking or the question that the people are asking. But he answers the question that Pharaoh is asking. Because it was Pharaoh who said, Who is this Lord that I should obey him? Who is this Lord that I should let the people go? I don't know him. Who is he? And what I see in today's passage is God reminding Moses who he is and that because of who he is, Moses can have confidence in what is going to happen. And he wants to remind in this passage Moses of three things about himself. And helpfully for us, I don't know if you spotted this, um, I know we don't always think of God as having a body, (laughs) but he uses his hands and his arms to teach Moses three things about himself. First of all, in chapter 6 and verse 1, he talks about his mighty hand of power, his mighty hand of power. He's the Lord. He's revealing something new that no one before has encountered with God. He's the Lord. He's awesome in power. He's way more um, powerful than Pharaoh. Everything is in his hand. He wants Moses to remember he's a God of power. Then in verse 6, we read about his outstretched arm, his outstretched arm of redemption and salvation. God has heard the cries of his people and it has touched him. The tears of God's people matter to God. He hates oppression and injustice and he will reach out his arm of redemption to save and finally in verse 8 we read about his uplifted hand of promise I kind of imagine someone in a court of law putting up that hand to swear that they're going to tell the truth it's a hand of promise in God's case and he reminds Moses of the covenant that he made with Abraham They're bound together, the people and God, and he's never going to let them go. So what? (laughs) That's a nice little three-point sermon, isn't it? So what? Was it just a little incident in a long life of Moses? No. No. I see that as a pattern that comes round and round again throughout the whole Bible. 
God's people find themselves in all sorts of trouble. Sometimes it's of their own making. Sometimes it's because of the cruelty of others. And constantly we find God saying, remember who I am. Remember who I am. Be still and know that I am God. I want to take you now to... um, one of my favorite passages in the Bible that actually Jesus was quoting from in our gospel reading just now. It's from Isaiah, and it will be familiar to you. The spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me because he's anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He sent me to bind up the brokenhearted to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn and provide for those who grieve in Zion, to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, and a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. They will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. That is God's heart that we see throughout the whole Bible from beginning to end, lived most beautifully in the life of Jesus. The little people, the people who are hurting, the people who are on the edges, the people who are broken and treated cruelly matter to God. He is for them. And he is all about transformation. Transformation in us and working transformation through us. And that little phrase at the end of that passage I just read about them, those people being for the display of God's splendor, them being like oaks of righteousness, are so important for me. That gives me confidence when I go to work each week at the old acorn barn in Englishcombe with people with learning disabilities. I know that we may be little people, not doing very much, but in God's hands, amazing things can happen. Lives can be transformed. His glory can be displayed through the work we do. It's why I've got a little silver acorn in my purse that I carry around all the time. And it's why a friend gave me this acorn necklace for Christmas, because she knows how important the idea of an acorn growing into an oak is. These are important things for us to remember, that God is powerful, that he is all about redemption and salvation, and he's a God of promise. He won't let us down. Things didn't get better straight away for the people in the story of Moses. Deliverance not happening straight away isn't a sign that God isn't at work. He is there. And we can think throughout history that the story has been a difficult one, as Tom alluded to at the beginning of the service, for the people of Israel. But God does invite us, and I see this passage as an invitation from God for us to consider what do we know about God? To know him better. And in our lives, in the different situations we find ourselves in, to think, what difference does that make having a God with me who is all-powerful, 
whose heart is for redemption and salvation and who is a God of promise who will never leave me or forsake me. Shall we close with a few minutes of prayer? And in this prayer, I'm going to use some words from a psalm, a Psalm 115. Many of the psalms look back to this Exodus story, remembering God's salvation and how they can, the people can have confidence to trust in God.